0: From KLIN Radio and the Lincoln Independent Business Association, this is the Lincoln Business Beat, a weekly summary of news affecting area business and a review of interesting topics and issues. Along with LEBA President and CEO Bud Seinhorst, I'm Mark Vail. Glad to have you with us. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by the 1890 Initiative. Visit 1890Nebraska.com where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes. Bud, uh, Liba has outlined its legislative priorities for the coming year, and uh, there seems to be kind of a theme as I read through it.
1: Well, you know, this is kind of our, our annual process. The legislative session starts right after the first of the year. And then, you know, we in the past, we focused kind of these priorities just straight with the legislature this year we we wanted to take a different approach so that we can share these with our elected officials locally as well, whether it's the city council, the school board the NRD LPS, what have you so that if there's projects coming up or things that we you know we, we take a look at these from a business perspective, like we want to get these out there so as they're thinking of projects, we can try to work together with them
0: so. and and this has a lot to do with any agency or uh, I guess that'd be the best uh, or governmental entity, whether it's an agency or not, that has taxing authority, correct?
1: Yes, absolutely. So um, we we want to, you know, obviously we, we're very cognizant about taxes. That's one of the big issues that we, uh, we focus around. And, you know, we kind of broke them into two different, I'll say, major buckets this year. Um, the first being transparency between the government and the public. And then the other is something we've talked about on here a lot is that growth mindset. And there's a lot of subcategories that go along with those. But um, just kind of some, I'll call them more philosophical, kind of where we're coming from things. So, uh, you know, under the transparency between government and the public, Any agency that can levy taxes has an obligation to inform the public about the proposed changes to their taxes and allow for public, you know, input. And there are, you know, we do have budget hearings and those types of things. And I think we wanted to take it just a little bit deeper this year. Well, it may be all right to
0: have a budget hearing, but you've got to have time to analyze uh, the initial numbers before you have a hearing because it takes some time to actually plow through some of this stuff.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, like the truth in taxation hearing is a great example. We refer to it at that pink card meeting. You know, there were a lot of people that didn't get those cards about that hearing until a day or two before the hearing. And so we felt like we need to, to address that process. And that's actually one of the things that we took it. Uh, took into account is we think that the public should have an adequate amount of time to review the budget and the changes in the levy or what have you, specifically respect uh, to that LB 644, which was was the truth in taxation law. So sometimes throughout the process, and this is more locally, I would say, than the state, is, you know, the budget will all of a sudden – pop up on the agenda for first reading you know about a week before maybe less than that and and that's where public comment comes in and that's where it becomes public and so we want those budgets to become public earlier so that the public has an opportunity to look through it and really spend some time on it Uh, as you know we've spent a lot of time on city budgets and county budgets and i've i've flooded you with spreadsheets (laughs) over the last year and a half yes i will attest to that but it's we've got to have the public to have that opportunity. And I think that truth in taxation hearing that we had here a couple months ago was really to me that I'll say light bulb moment that we need to think of different ways to do that. And so this could be something at the state level where maybe some statutes address it, or, you know, maybe just try to partner with our local political subdivisions so that there's plenty of, I'll call it runway, for people to hear about the budget, hear what's happening, and be able to respond appropriately. And it's not just the uh,
0: public that needs this information sooner. Some of the elected officials that have to approve these budgets that come from a different agency or a different part of a governmental entity. Uh, We heard this year that in, in the case of the, I believe it was Lincoln City Council, I Didn't have a lot of time after the mayor presented the budget to actually go into it. The public had less.
1: Yeah, and that's that's one of those things that's, that's really difficult because, you know, we do have separation of powers in our country between a legislative branch, an executive branch, and a judicial branch. But when those when that information isn't being shared from the executive branch to the legislative branch, it puts them in a difficult position to try to understand the budget what's happening and and how it works and so that's really kind of what we're looking at and and really to have that information out there early and be able to respond and this all has to do with the budget
0: process not necessarily at this point the funds that are coming in and how they're being spent this is the proposals and and what's uh what is being planned
1: yeah this is just straight up what are you planning i mean um, as we dive into this, we also think that uh, we should be able to and and some of the political subdivisions are very good at this, and some of them are not quite there yet. but there are certain ones where you can come in go in and you can look and click through and see where every dollar is spent and and, and that I think goes into that transparency piece as well and and that 's been one of the frustrations that I think over the last year and a half i 've shared with. Sometimes with some of those excess funds we've talked about at the city, where they've collected you know over a hundred million dollars more in taxes than they budgeted, where did that money go? And, and and I think as taxpayers we have we have a right for that information, and we have a duty to follow that money and, and make sure that it's being used um, appropriately and how we how we see fit. And if not, then we have an opportunity to. Uh, cast our v- v- ballots and, and share if we think there needs to be a change.
0: Not just where does the money go, but is it filed away somewhere? Is it banked somewhere? And I think that's what one of the things that surprised the heck out of me when we saw a recent uh, cash balance situation with the city council. Um, I mean, there was three quarters of a billion dollars in cash at the end of one month this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was just a couple months ago. And... You know we're sitting on a lot of cash, and that's one of the things I've talked about through the budget process. Is all these um, departmental funds that just have carryover balances year over year, and they keep growing and growing and growing, and we keep asking the question, why? Why is a department banking so much money? You know, and and I'll give. I think this is probably one of the most basic examples of, you know, does it make sense or not? For instance, Lincoln Fire and Rescue. They have built a plan on replacement of apparatus, whether it's fire engines, fire trucks, uh, medical, medical units, insurance. all of that. Well, those things um, are not cheap. Uh, I think uh, an ambulance at this point is about six, seven $700,000. A fire engine is about a million and a half. A fire truck is probably pushing $2 million. And so instead of all of that coming at once – If they put some money away each year knowing that, you know, we're building up a fund so that, you know, next year we're going to buy this and the following year we're going to buy this, you know, like if there's a plan, I think that's prudent. I mean, we do that as business owners. If we have a big piece of equipment, we're probably saying, okay, over the next three years, we're going to start setting money aside to reduce our debt that we may have to incur to buy a new piece of equipment. Uh, a lot of companies do that with computers they have a plan to replace computers and so if we have a plan and that's what it's going to be with these funds it makes sense if it's just we just keep carrying over money and carrying over money and carrying over money we don't have a plan then i think at that point there needs to be a conversation about taking those funds and investing them in things like streets or you know public safety or all those different things like and and I'll Since I gave the fire department a shout-out, I'm going to give Chief Morrow a shout-out. She was on the podcast here recently, and she has a plan on how she's going to try to work to fill strategically those positions. And so she's got a good plan. And so that's what we're looking for, and that's what we're asking of our government. And I don't think that's a bad ask. I don't think that's being overzealous in our our asking.
0: And the other part of that is... Uh, because you budgeted and you project revenue, you budget expenses, you project revenue. That's, that's one of the things that I learned in business. Yeah. Uh, and, and the projections sometimes can be wrong. That is, you actually take in more money than you had projected. Uh, you still, or
1: something hits and you don't take in the revenue. Right. right.
0: But, but what, what I want you to address is when those revenues are higher than projected, what happens to those revenues?
1: Well, and it seems like a lot of those revenues are being banked, and we can't find where that's being put. I mean, or it, what it's planned for. Or right? what it's planned for. I'll give you an example. It's been over four years since there was a conversation about a double decker roundabout at 14th and Warlick. They had set aside $25 million for that project thinking it was going to be about a 30 or 35 million dollar project and the but and the proposals came back at about 45 so they decided not to do the project but that 25 million is still sitting there meanwhile we have people that call us call on a regular basis that are frustrated about streets and so like we need to be investing that money and if that project if that project is a no then where's that money and what are we doing Another uh, topic, uh,
0: another area of discussion that uh, is one of the priorities, and this seems to be uh, becoming more of an issue. Now, I don't know whether it's more of an issue locally, but I'm hearing more about it uh, at some state levels and even at the national level, and that is public records and how uh, available are they. We always hear about FOIA requests, but you also read stories about FOIA requests being uh, ignored, and we're hearing about some agencies that want to charge exorbitant amounts for public information. Uh, how, how is this being addressed by LEBA going forward?
1: Well, and, th- and that, kinda, that really falls into that transparency matter. And you know, some of these things specific to budget and agency funds, I think, are things that – there, there's software out there. There are political subdivisions using software where you can – your budget – basically, your checking account is online. And so money comes in, you see where it is, you see where it gets put, and you see how those monies are being spent from each of those different accounts. And and I think that's part of that transparency issue, too, that you talked about, Mark, on the FOIA requests. That's Freedom of Information Act. Um, <laughs> sometimes we, we talk in those terms that we all know, so we'll just make sure we clarify that for everybody. But it seems like... Um, and I hear this more and more when someone puts in a FOIA request there. I think they have, what is it, four days, four business days or a certain, maybe 10 business days. I don't remember the, the statute, but they have a certain number of days to be able to respond um, to get that back. And I would say probably from what I hear anecdotally, at least 90 percent of those FOIA requests, they get an email back that says, we're gonna need additional time and they 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 build themselves a long runway of three, four, five, six weeks. That information should be more accessible. And you know, and then they start charging huge fees and, and then there's been some court cases um uh on those fees and I think uh I think recently wasn't there a case where the judge ruled that the fees were too high.
0: I believe that was a, with the Flatwater Free Press. Yes, yeah.
1: I, I was thinking it was a media outlet. It I was. couldn't remember, but you know, I mean, they they won their court case, and and so I, I think it's valuable that we keep to hold our P, our government officials accountable, and so we we need to find a way to hone up that process um, on how we can process that information because it's. Uh, And and I mean, you work in the news business, Mark, if you guys put in a a Freedom of Information Act request and you're asking for information about things that are happening, if it takes them two, three weeks, you know, it's no longer news. Um, But within a reasonable amount of time, you should be able to get that information, whether it's crime statistics or what's happening in a certain department or. You know, what, whatever it might be, you know, why did we run out of brine or whatever if that happens? So, I, I mean, working in that news business, you need access to information to be able to do your job, right? Yes, I mean, and
0: we've made use of it sometimes. Yeah,
1: and, so. and, and that is valuable information for you to do your job. But number two, it's valuable information for the public. And so our government is supposed to be open to the people. And that's really what we're trying to get to with, with some of these matters our deep dive is coming up what are we going to hit on here i'm, I'm we're going to keep going into these uh, legislative priorities but we've talked a lot about the growth mindset here mark um on the lincoln business beat and that's one of our big priorities coming into next year um and so we want to talk more about a growth mindset what does that mean and and what are some projects that would fall within that realm
0: and I have a question for you on growth mindset that you probably haven't seen coming, so I'm, I'm, going, to oh throw, boy. I'm going
1: to throw one at you at that. Have so, that delay button ready. Uh, yeah. uh,
0: we'll, we'll do the deep dive here in just a moment. Husker fans, you've probably heard about NIL, name, image, and likeness, and now you can have an immediate effect on the success of our programs. The 1890 Initiative is Nebraska's premier NIL company, and with your help, we can maximize our student-athletes' opportunities with NIL and then prepare them for life after college. Nebraska's always been a leader in college athletics. Let's do the same with NIL. To learn more, visit 1890nebraska.com, where 100% of your donation goes directly to Huster's student-athletes. That's 1890nebraska.com. Back in the Lincoln Business Beat, our deep dive segment. It's part of the LIBA legislative priorities for 2024. And uh, the broad topic here, Bud, is growth mindset. Before I hit you with my question, (laughs) give us the uh, 20,000, 30,000-foot view of growth mindset.
1: Well, really, from our perspective, we're looking for government policies and legislation focused on strengthening growth in our communities making them more attractive for existing businesses to expand and to bring new businesses to start or relocate to our communities and you know it's 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 just a we've got to think from a policy perspective what can we do to attract business people industry uh, whatever it might be or even just creating more residential development and when, as residential Development grows, so grows things like gas stations and grocery stores and drug stores and restaurants and all these other things um, so that 's kind of just the the overall mentality i was I was talking to somebody earlier this week, and we were talking about just different issues and um, we were talking about the fact that we want government entities to understand that it 's more valuable to a local political subdivision when you have a building and businesses and restaurants and housing and all those kind of things it's more valuable from a taxing authority perspective than a than a flat piece of dirt I guess I'll call it so yeah. it's 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 to be able to think that way and be innovative on what we can do to help business and to help developers because as those things grow it brings more people into the community It brings more people to pay taxes, whether it's sales taxes, income taxes, property taxes. All of those things help us. What about
0: the things that get in the way of growth? I'm talking uh, such as uh, I know we have to have uh, ordinances and planning commissions and things like that in the process go through. But sometimes these are pretty burdensome for uh, doing the very things you just talked about, relocating or building new uh, things like that. What about the stuff that's counterproductive to growth
1: it, one of the things that we hear from the developers whether it's commercial or residential it, and this is generally i would say that their their beef is the same when we go to try to go through the process it feels like there's just barriers especially locally here in lincoln um whether it's the permitting process whether it's coordinating with the city on infrastructure and all these other things so I was talking to a, a local business owner recently, and the local business owner is building... They have a business that's kind of regional. And they're they're working on a project in Lincoln, and they're working on a project somewhere else in Nebraska, an hour and a half from Lincoln, hour from Lincoln. And the community, outs, an hour from Lincoln, gave them the land to build their building. They are putting in infrastructure, which is roads, sewage, electricity, like they're, that community is doing that to bring that business there. Their, their question was, we want you to build, we want it right here, do you like that spot? Yes. What can we do to make this happen, okay? In Lincoln, same business, trying to do the same type of project, And the city is, you have to do this for, you have to build an $8 million road and you have to do this and you have to do this. Well, now that's, that project's on hold in Lincoln. And so it's a contrast of philosophy, I would say, of what can we do to make it happen versus, well, you have to pay all of these things, which now that, that increases the cost of development, right? Right. If we have our facility that we want to build for our business and it's X, X million dollars and then we have to do all these things that the city's requiring us that adds another two, three, four, ten million dollars onto a project, you know, your cost, you're talking about more than doubling the cost of a project. Well, that's not attractive to a business owner. It's pricing them out of the market. It's pricing them out of the market and it's causing them not to do their project. Well, think about that from a developing a neighborhood or uh uh a subdivision. If the developers have to pay all of these additional costs, what does that do to the cost of a home? It shoots it through the roof. And so it makes it harder and we have this conversation constantly. Well, I would say we have the conversation. It's a I think it's just a bunch of platitudes or buzzwords of affordable housing, affordable housing, affordable housing. Well, when we continue to put those types of expenses on the developer, who's the developer going to charge? They're going to charge the person who buys the house. So that could arguably take that $200,000 or let's say $200,000 house, and it could make it a two hundred fifty or $275,000 house. Now, $75,000... Fifty to $75,000 on the cost of a home can be the difference on whether or not you're willing to buy a home or people are able to afford those homes.
0: And if it's affordable housing and rental properties, it's $1,000 a month versus 700 a month in
1: rent. Exactly. And that's not counting the increased utility costs and all the, I mean, it's just, there. there's that, that difference in mentality is pretty amazing to me. And that's, I, I hope that gives you a good example of what I'm trying to get get across as we've got to think with a growth mindset.
0: Uh, Yeah, and and that was where I was going with it. The the stuff that gets in the way of growth that really is overreaching in some instances, uh, not always, but oftentimes uh, regulations and the processes really make it impossible to do the types of, of growth activities that you are looking for. We've talked a number of times about the the flood uh, situation here in town. I know of one project that they had to cut back the size because they, they had to bring in, I don't know how many cubic yards of dirt that they wouldn't have had to, if we'd have been at the FEMA level
1: versus what the city wants, which was hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yes. And, and again, I go back to a hundred thousand, hundreds of thousands of dollars in excess mandates from the government really does get in the way of making projects happen. And, and and that's the thing, you know, and, and I've talked about the South Beltway here, Mark, and I, I've, I've pleaded to the city council to have this growth mindset because Lincoln is developed within about a mile of that South Beltway. And if the city would unleash some investment down there with some of these excess funds that we talked about in the first segment, That is going to be more attractive to developers. It's going to mean more restaurants, grocery stores, homes, apartments, everything down there. And it's going to continue to boom that way. And again, I go back to you put a development with, let's say, 25 houses on it is more valuable tomorrow than it is as a piece of dirt today perspective of the city, the county, the schools, all of those, and, and that's where it gets in the way is we, we're, we've got to think that way, and we've got to think about things more than just what's happening in the next week or two weeks or 30 days or 90 days. We've got to be thinking about where do we want to be in two years, four years, six years, eight years, 10 years. Now, those things are going to change over time, but if we think with that kind of a mentality, we can make investments that make it happen.
0: Well, when you take a look at something like that, the South Beltway, where the city could be putting in major uh, infrastructure, water, sewer, uh, other utilities, getting them to that South Beltway area. Roads, roads, (laughs) yeah, all of that. uh, Doing it now, it's going to cost less now than it will five years from now. Let's just face that. But then that also makes it possible for this development to go ahead and happen. Right now, you couldn't probably put a convenience store on any of the exits on the South Beltway because they don't have access to city water,
1: sewer, uh, any of that. And if there's not a street there, the city's going to make them put in the street, right? I mean, so we, we've got to be open to conversations. And and I, I don't, I don't have a solution. I don't think there is a solution. As an as a community, we need to be more open to those conversations, and as government, they need to be. I'm just saying they need to be more open to those conversations. Be innovative. Look at what's happened. Look at other communities. We're always talking about the communities we compete with, like a Des Moines, a Sioux City. They throw Omaha in there, Kansas City. You know all those different communities. What have they done? As a, as a as a government entity to try to find a way to bring business there, to make it attractive for businesses that want to expand. I mean, I, I hear on a regular basis of businesses that want to expand here in Lincoln, and those projects are being put on pause because they can't get through, as you call it, the red tape, the regulation, all of that. There's like, it's just not worth it right now.
0: One other thing we've talked about quite a bit, and it's all part of this growth mindset. It's a tool that some developers use but discuss a little bit tax increment financing and and how this plays into the openness of government uh, the growth mindset and and the ability to to do things like this
1: well i think the big thing with tif and i know tif at about the 100,000 <laughs> level but you know tif will at times will make a di- make a difference in a project and you know sometimes developers are able to do a project because of tif and and then sometimes even the TIF isn't enough to help them do the project, and so it is a tool that I think we need to to look at, maybe try to see what we can do to help with these types of things but But I really look at like you know the infrastructure that you talked about like that's an investment the city could be making, and that's a, an investment that needs to be made, and you know, don't forget that in 2025, the quarter-cent sales tax that was passed in 2019 for roads is going to sunset. And there probably is going to be a conversation about that. And so what – and I think when that conversation happens, it's going to have to look at how are we going to invest those dollars and what is that going to look like. And there's going to have to be a good sales pitch from the city, I think, because, you know – leaving it at a quarter cent, people are kind of used to paying it already. So there's a better chance there, but there's conversations that there are people that want to raise it. And if we're going to do that, we have to have a plan and it has to be growth oriented. It just it has to be growth oriented.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about the source of tax revenue, the taxpayer. Yeah. Uh, and and I I don't think we honestly realize how many taxes we pay, and I don't think we realize that the taxing system. We talk about a regressive tax policy. We talk about uh, the different tax policies, but in fact, the end user is really the one that pays every bit of tax all the way through the process.
1: Well, it's never government funded; it's taxpayer funded, is what I like good, to say. Good point. <laughs> I mean, but but you know, we pay we pay sales tax, we pay income tax, we pay wheel tax. We pay property taxes, we pay I mean we pay all kinds of different taxes for those kinds of things. And and I think what, what, what we really saw at that truth in taxation hearing is people are being taxed to death is kind of how they feel right now. And so um, that's kind of where they're coming from. And so we've gotta we've gotta prioritize that. And I mean the city's gonna put a bond out there next year, probably next summer, to build a new library downtown. Be ready for that. That's going to be paid by the taxpayers. And it's, I think, at one point recently, I saw it was going to be about a $60 million project. So at some point, the taxpayers are going to have to stand up and say, these are the things that our government needs to do, and we need to get focused. And we need to focus on what the the function of government is, I think, really.
0: Interesting discussion today. Growth mindset, uh- transparency in government, some of LIBA's top priorities for the legislative session 2024. But really that carries through not just the legislature. I think that's the point you made earlier. Uh, it really needs to go to every taxing authority that's involved.
1: Yeah, and so we, we just want, we want them to be open to that. We want them to understand that. And I think, I think we've got some good legislators at, uh, at the Unicameral that understand this. I mean, the conversation happening about the convention center. Like to me that 's a growth oriented philosophy. the conversation that's happening at the legislature about the secondary water source and what we can do there, but we 've got to we 've got to think of ways we 've got to be innovative we 've got to look at what other people are doing
0: and we've got to look ahead
1: yeah we 've got to think to the future, not just tomorrow
0: and the future the way it 's going to be, not the way we perceive it to be
1: yes, exactly yeah very good mark wow it 's like you 've done this before. <laughs> well,
0: yeah. Yeah, when when uh, when you're planning out certain things, uh, you know, it's uh, the effort that goes into the planning oftentimes pays big dividends that you don't expect, but they, they just do. Quick uh, check of the uh, calendar for LEBA. We're in the new month now, December. Oh,
1: my gosh. So December, our schedule's a little different. Um, on the 19th, we are going to have our LEBA luncheon featuring uh, Nebraska Governor Jim Pillen.
0: And that's his second uh, visit to the Liba luncheon. He was there last December as governor-elect.
1: Yeah, so um, it'll be nice to have Governor Pillen there to talk about his priorities coming into the legislative session and the things that he's really working on. And then uh, December 21st, we're going to have a Liba Christmas party. And that's going to be over at the... uh, uh i'm trying to think what it's called it's over there at the whitehead oil corporate headquarters they have kind of a meeting area um and uh they have decided they want to have an ugly sweater party so mark dig out your ugliest sweater plan on coming over to that um it's going to be 4:30 to 6:30 on thursday december the 21st so and those are our two those are the two events we've got in december so uh we're going to close out the year have a little bit of fun and uh move forward on to 2024
0: and of course uh if, if you haven't uh, noticed already or heard already uh bud's finishing up his uh, term at uh, LIBA as president and ceo at the end of the month so uh we're going to hand the duties over to carter uh policy and research director in the uh, interim but you'll be here for a couple more weeks
1: yep i'll be here till the end of the year we'll have a couple more of these fun little conversations mark and <laughs> then we're going to hand the baton to carter and uh and, and let him do it he's done a couple recently he's done a really nice job and and is really good at digging into issues and doing his homework that's for sure
0: yeah if he were you know if he were a spreadsheet uh type guy i think he'd beat you at it
1: I, you know i he Carter, gets really he gets carter's really deep. not Carter's spreadsheets are not one of his strengths, and I've been working with him and teaching him some things on (laughs) spreadsheets, so you better watch out and be careful what you wish for. He gets deep into some of these issues. He's really good and very talented at at understanding the issues and doing the research.
0: If you would, uh, please share this uh, podcast, uh, leave a review and a rating. We'd appreciate that as well. This has been the Lincoln Business Beat from the Lincoln Independent Business Association and KLIN Radio, reviewing and updating business owners and community members about what's happening in the business community in and around Lincoln. Along with Liva President and CEO Bud Seinhorst, I'm Mark Vail. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by the 1890 Initiative. Visit 1890nebraska.com where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes.